The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your tooth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com. It's very simple. Click on the subscribe button, choose your subscription type, and you'll receive your login immediately, which will give you access to all of our material going back to December of 2008. Wow, I can't believe it's been that long. And tonight we go back to a topic that I really enjoy, the topic of UFOs. Well, conspiracy theories run rampant in the world of the UFO and search for alien life. Some are government-sanctioned, some are government-sponsored, and more than a few can be laid at the feet of UFO witnesses and investigators, whether it's suppressed evidence, hidden plots, cover-ups, or misleading statements. The next special guest will sort through the information, sources, and files to help develop a fuller picture of government activities. You decide if government is being deliberately misleading or whether the conspiracy theories have gotten out of control. All of this with tonight's special guest, retired U.S. Army Colonel Kevin Randall, right now on Veritas. Kevin D. Randall is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel who toured in both Vietnam and Iraq. He has a master's and doctorate degrees in psychology and a second master's degree in the art of military science. His Army and Air Force training as a helicopter pilot an intelligence officer, military policeman, and in public affairs brings unique insight into the operations and protocols of the military and its investigations into UFOs and related phenomena. For more than 45 years, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses to mysterious crashes, sightings, abduction cases, animal mutilations, alien home invasions, and humans working with the aliens. Randall is the author of many books, including the latest, The Government UFO Files, a conspiracy of cover-up. And to learn more about retired U.S. Army Colonel Kevin Randall, we have links to his blog on our website. And directly from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I would like to welcome Kevin Randall. Hello, Mr. Randall, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Well, thank you very much. You're just assuming I'm in Cedar Rapids. I might have taken my phone somewhere else. Oh, that's right. You may be under a bunker somewhere uh, in Colorado Springs, for all we know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, I have, you're right. I'm in Cedar Rapids. I just thought I'd throw you a curve just to start off with. Absolutely. Good to break the ice. And, and, and may I call you Kevin, by the way? 
Yes, you may. Thank you. Was there something you saw right from the beginning? Let me ask you this question. Was there something you saw during your time in the military that compelled you to become an avid researcher on the topic of UFOs? I was a researcher prior to my time in the military. Uh, I always blame my mother for this obsession. Uh, she was a fan of science fiction, you know, alien visitation, sure. uh, interstellar flight, life on other planets. And it's not a large step from that area of science fiction into UFOs, which is, of course, alien visitation and life on other planets. So she kind of uh, spurred the, the interest, but I've been looking at UFOs or studying them since I was a teenager uh, growing up in Colorado. In fact, uh, one of the first things I did, a um, friend, of, friend of mine's mother had seen a UFO, and, and, and this was in the 1960s, which I hesitate to say because that dates me heavily. But uh, <laughs> my question had always been, we'd, we, we'd heard repeatedly through, through the authorities that people just see blobs of light in the sky. They're indistinct things seen in the distance. You really don't get a good look at them and all of this nonsense. And he told me that his mother had seen this this thing in South Dakota, I believe it was. And so I, I interviewed her, and the one question I wanted answered, and the only thing I really cared about at that time was, was it distinct? Could you see it easily? And she said it was hovering about 200 feet above the barn, and it was a very distinct, solid object, not a blob of light, not a blurry image in the distance, but a, a very distinct, solid object that she got a very good look at. And that kind of I, you know, increased my interest. Now, while I was in the military, I carried out investigations that were not part of my military assignment, but things that I was interested in because of the locales I was in. I took advantage of that to talk to lots of different people about what they had seen and what they had done. So the answer, the answer which was buried in there somewhere was the, uh, the military really had nothing to do with sparking my interest in UFOs. Now, did you ever converge with uh, Sergeant Clifford Stone? Oh, yes. Met him many, many, many times. Uh, met him in 1989 in Roswell, New Mexico, as a matter of fact, and, uh, and talked to him about what he knew or may not have known and, and things like that. Uh, uh, as we, and when I say we, Don Schmidt and I were beginning our investigation into the Roswell case, uh, he provided a couple of things that assisted us. One of, one of the things he invited us was an introduction to Ralph Hike, who was a fellow living in Roswell as well, who had... Um, historic done historical research and happened to know the family of Sheriff Wilcox, Wilcox being the Roswell Sheriff in 1947. Right. So we got the introduction to uh, Phyllis McGuire through Ralph Hike. So you know, Cliff Stone introduced us to Ralph Hike, who introduced us to uh, Phyllis McGuire, who introduced us to her sister and her daughter and Talk's daughter. And so we, we got a, a good insight of what the whole family's involvement was in, in Roswell in 1947. You know, when I think of Cliff, and I've had many, many conversations with him in private and, and, and on the record, too, the story about him being taken to what he thinks is Vietnam, where, uh, you know, a, a craft, a, a U.S. airplane was almost put down in the middle of a, a clearing of a forest, and then he found the, the what seems to be some great aliens there. I'm sure you know about that story. What's your take on that story? I find it somewhat difficult to believe. Care to comment? Well, I, it, it's uh, some of the things that Cliff has said about his experiences in Vietnam and, uh, and my experiences in Vietnam sort of clash. Uh, I think at one point he claimed about uh, 
he would crawl outside the base camp wire to go hunting Viet Cong at night. And having been in Vietnam, I know that's not simply not true. Uh, anybody crawling around on the wire is going to be engaged. And especially if you're, if you're not on a, a authorized mission, you're going to be engaged. The assumption going to be that if you're crawling around on the wire outside the base camp, you're the bad guys. Um, so, you know, I, I find some of him, let, let's just say I find some of his stories overly enthusiastic. I guess the reason why I was asking you is more to see if you know of, of more of the crash retrieval groups that allegedly the United States has, not only in the United States, but in other countries. Do we have, do we have communication with other countries' governments if, for example, something crashes in Mexico? Do we call the Mexican government and say, hey, we're going to go, or do we just go? I think in today's environment, we would call the Mexican government to, to communicate with them about what we're doing. We don't want to put our soldiers uh, down in a foreign country without the proper diplomatic authorizations. Otherwise, we're going to create some kind of international incident, which would tend to draw attention to an event that we wanted to keep secret. But I think based on my research, there's very, very few crashes. There's... Um, um, I, I think a lot of things that are labeled crashes are misidentifications. One of the things that struck me is a number of the illustration I'd seen of people, what they thought was a crash. And as we looked at uh, videos on YouTube, and there's a wonderful one called um, Meteor Complimation, uh, 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 which is three minutes and 19 seconds long, and, and so what you see is a whole bunch of meteors that have been caught on videotape as they're, as they're falling. And, and you see as they begin to break up, you get this impression of a lighted co uh, cockpit. You get this impression of lighted windows. And I think that some of the crashes that have been reported, uh, we can now look at as these were meteors, especially when you talk to the witnesses and they say, well, I, I saw it for one or two seconds only. So you don't have a, a time to really get a good look at it. And, and so I think that these these long lists of crashes, because if there were that many UFO crashes, we'd be having a whole different conversation, which is not to say there aren't, there aren't some, I, but I think there's very few of them. And I think that the way this really shakes out, and this is going to sound very American-centric, but I think if you look at it, You've got the one at Roswell, which I think it's fairly well established that, that this was this was alien, this was something extraterrestrial. Um, so we've got an answer to the question that everybody else in the world doesn't have in 1947. We've we've got one. We know what's exactly what's going on, and I think we kept that to ourselves. And I don't think we've had a lot of crashes in other nations because if we did, again, we'd be having a different conversation because those governments would have access to the information. So when we look at it. Uh, and, and I've thought about this quite a bit. Um, when, we, when we look at it, why, why would all these foreign gov governments being, uh, would, they, would they accept the American um, pronouncement that there's nothing to this and there's no UFOs and that sort of thing? And I think the difference is we have the evidence and the other countries do not have that kind of a, a, a quality of, of evidence. They have the, the eyewitness testimonies, they have the, the radar cases, they have the photographs and that sort of thing, but they don't have the final bit of proof, which would be the recovery of an alien spacecraft or the recovery of alien bodies. And I think that is one of the reasons we can kind of keep the secret, is because 
we control that information. Had that event taken place in Canada or Australia or Japan or Germany or France or Great Britain, then we wouldn't control that information, which which reminds me of the the um, Bentwaters case, Rendlesham Forest. There was there was diplomatic byplay in in, the, in when that that event took place in um, 1980. There was diplomatic mm-hmm. byplay. The, the the British saying no no we don't they, that's an American problem because it was an American base and it was American personnel. Yeah, but it's and, British and, soil. But and, and and the Americans were saying, but it's British soil. So you guys take it. So there was a, nobody wanted to get involved with it. So they're kind of passing it off to one another because they knew what sort of a diplomatic and public relations nightmare it would become if the information got out, which, of course, it did. And, and so I think we look at all of those sorts of things. It kind of gives us an idea of why the United States has kind of taken the lead on this and other countries haven't, haven't disputed it, although other countries um, you know, France did a wonderful report. Um, the South American countries, especially Brazil, have done wonderful things in their investigations of UFOs. We've got the the, the fellow from Peru, the uh, fighter pilot who attempted to intercept it. I actually got to talk to this guy because the reports would say he fired on it without results, which means he could have missed. So I asked him, did you hit it? And his answer was yes. So he fired on it. He hit it. There were no results uh, because the bullets didn't do anything to to the, the to the UFO. So uh, yeah, we look at all of this. We've got other countries saying, yeah, there's something really going on. We've done done our investigations, but I think they do not have the sort of final evidence that we have in the United States, which is why the United States has been able to kind of control that flow of information. You know, speaking of crashes, I always wondered this: if these craft are coming from so far away, whether you know interdimensional or from a different solar system, how sad would it be to crash when they finally made it here? If they crash, what is it that brings them down? Let's start with Roswell. I think it's 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 the old joke. Maybe they are are built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> I thought that only happened in the United States. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I, I think that if you're dealing with a technology, no matter how far advanced, and you're dealing with alien creatures who I assume, and this is my assumption, are somewhat fallible, that somebody could have pushed the wrong button and, and brought it down. But I, 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 you know, I, I just don't – I think it was brought down by accident. I don't think we had anything to do with it. It just, it just came down by accident. But, I've, but I used to say a long time ago, Maybe they did it on purpose. And what is the most non-threatening way to introduce yourselves to another sentient race? Well, you crash one and leave the bodies and the equipment to be found by those alien creatures now running around on this planet. And it, and it, it, it shows, them, shows those, those people that you're not, not that much of a threat, you're not dangerous because um, your craft can crash and your pilots can be killed. Uh, so there's always that possibility, and of course we uh, fooled them by burying the whole incident rather than announcing to the world that that we had um, uh, we had the flying saucer. So I don't know what brings it down. I think that when you look at it, you've crossed these interstellar distances to get here, or these interdimensional distances, which is a whole different argument. But you've you figured out the technology to do this. That your technology is going to be approaching flawless, and so um, it's going to be a very rare event 
that one would crash on the surface of our planet where we could get at it and discover the secrets of it. And I think if you're old enough, you you look back at uh, how well your car worked in the 1960s and the kind of problems you had there, and you look at the car that you buy today and how far superior it is technologically than the cars that we had in the in the 50s and the 60s and all the various components that go into it that make it a much more complex machine than it was there and yeah the things go things go wrong and things break but not with the same sort of regularity that we had you know 50 years ago so i i i look at all of those sorts of things so i you know i'm thinking uh, somebody made a mistake on the craft uh something went wrong and they they didn't recover from it uh, it was something that was unexpected, which happens, you know, when, whenever you have sort of sort of an accident. But it, that that kind of explains the whole thing uh, when you look at it. And then then the question is, well, why didn't they attempt to recover it? And then you have to start. That's a good question. With, well, but you have to start dealing with alien um, thought processes. And it may be that their thought process is, well, it crashed, it's broken, the the, the pilots are dead. Who cares? You know, we don't need to recover that sort of thing. Uh, we don't care if the, the local creatures find it and try to play with it. They're not going to be able to figure it out anyway. It's just one of those things. Or maybe we got to it too quick and there was nothing they could do to recover it. You know, we got there too quickly. We picked up the bodies too quickly. And anything they did from that point was going to reveal themselves in a fashion they didn't want to be revealed. So they just left it alone. Well, you you know, said we, something... don't have those, we don't have those answers. You said something interesting. If they, they, their thought process is, oh, those, those animals who live down there will never be able to figure it out. But did we figure out, if it is true that, that Roswell happened, and maybe we have been able to retrieve technology, you know, advanced technology from off this world, do you think that we have been able to reverse engineer that technology and perhaps we use it today, not only militarily, but, uh, you know, civilian? I don't think so. I think it, I think the technology is so far superior we haven't figured it out yet. And the best example I can think of, and and, and now it now this dates me as well, but it's a much better example, is if you had a a VCR video cassette recorder, and a TV and a power pack, and you go back to Merlin the magician, and you show him this black ribbon, and if you know the secrets, you can get pictures and sound off it color pictures and sound off it. But to do that, you have to understand two things that are invisible, magnetism and electricity. And I think the technology that was presented at Roswell, if it wasn't broken up so bad that it didn't give us any clues, that we haven't been able to figure it out. And when we look at the evolution of what we might think of the important parts of our society, um, micro-miniaturization, uh, the transistors, and all this sort of thing. We can see the evolution through our scientific processes and how these things were brought about. Um, we don't see the quantum leap of, of invention that you would expect if we had successfully reverse-engineered one of these things. And so I, I, I think personally that we, we have it, we have the bodies, um, and the bodies, I would imagine, we subject to various um, examinations as our technology uh, develops. I mean, in the, in the 1980s, we began to develop the DNA technology, so I assume we applied that to them to see what we could learn about the composition of the bodies. But I, I, I think that we just haven't made those kinds of... of um, leaps that you would expect if we'd recovered and back-engineered an alien craft 
which would be far superior to anything that we have. There may be some suggestions, and that way, and one of them. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it, because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.